Hey, it's Jordan. I am here in Detroit, uh, where we are uh, talking to some people about, uh, God, where do you even start <laughs> with Detroit? Uh, so obviously, you know, I've covered uh, the Flint water crisis very extensively, but kind of overshadowed by Flint is Detroit's been having severe, severe water problems uh, going, dating back probably for 10 to 20 years. Uh, uh, high lead, uh, other contaminants, and it's essentially uh, in part because of Flint uh, and, and what Flint's gone through, but also in part of corrupt politicians been swept under the rug. So uh, I wanted to talk to some people, not just about the water problems, but I mean, it's gentrification on steroids here in Detroit. I mean, obviously we know about San Francisco and Seattle and New York and Chicago. Uh, Detroit gentrification is uh, one of the biggest problems. And really what gentrification means, as you know, is forcing poor people to get the fuck out of town. That's what it means. So uh, I'm here with three uh, locals who uh, are all, uh, I'd say, on the uh, uh, much-loved list in Detroit. I mean, uh, hated list <laughs> by, by, by power. Uh, Joanna Underwood, uh, you're a member of the Charter Commission. Yeah, Detroit Charter Commission. Detroit Charter Commission, just elected last year. No, this year. Oh, well, this year. Well, yeah, technically last year. And you got you got 65,000 votes, and were outspent probably like 20 to one. No, I got 60,000. Excuse me, I got 60,000 votes. Um, a little over 60,000 votes. Um, corporate interest put up 600,000 dollars against me and three other grassroots activists, and I came in second place. Um, as far as the overall votes that um, that was cast. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, Miko Williams, you are with Hydrate Detroit. Yeah. Uh, so you've done a lot of uh, advocacy on water issues and other things. And advocate Ramon, uh, you've kind of been working on a lot of these issues together. Uh, so kind of, I want to start because a lot of people honestly have no idea what's going on with the water here because Local media is bad and national media is non-existent. So they shut off, uh, as far as I know, public school water fountains last year in 2018. Uh, I saw some headlines on it, but I didn't really see, like, I didn't see it on CNN. I, I just saw it local headlines. Uh, the, uh, I believe it was the school superintendent or something said, we're taking proactive measures because in some of their testing, they found high lead levels. Yeah. But as far as I could tell, it's not like they're digging up the pipes <laughs> to, to see if the pipes are busted. Uh, they're basically throwing in filters and a lot of what we've seen in Flint. Yeah. So can you kind of talk about first the water issue, not just what happened last year, but this predates the schools. This has been citywide for a long time. Mm -hmm. Well, the, I've been mostly working with Hydrate Detroit around the drainage fees um, and the high uh, water rates that been um, been we've been having high water rates ever since on uh, the bankruptcy of the city of Detroit when Great Lakes Water Authority um, took over and um, we have mass water shutoffs we have a situation where in the city of Detroit if you don't pay your water bill they can actually put a lien on your property and take your home so we have people that actually lost their homes over a water bill so it's very serious here um, a lot of people have um, got sick because of the, um, the water shut off. Also, the hepatitis. We have bad hepatitis outbreak in the city of Detroit. Uh, we have um, homes and homes that have old pipes. But also, the the main pipes that we're paying for with our city taxes has not been updated. Has and we trying to figure out where the money is going. And so the, the main pipes under the street, underneath the streets, underneath the streets, uh, and then also the lead pipes going up to the house and stuff like that. And so we. Have 
have all these situations going on. We don't have any really uh, res response from the city government as far as the, the director of Detroit um, and Water and Sewage, Gary Brown. He has totally ignored us. He um, He's not empathetic, sympathetic to the needs of the residents. And you could tell them about, you know, the kids got poisoned and, and mass shutoffs in the water. And he just look at us like, you know, that's, that's just business. Um, we have a lot of corruption in the city of Detroit uh, overall in our city government that allows this kind of injustice to continue to happen. And Miko is the expert when it comes down to um, the cases that he has. You know, he calls me in the middle of the night crying about, you know, how bad and severe this is. So I support him. We did protest this together. We have, you know, did everything in our power as activists and community organizers to try to organize the people and get the word out about the crisis here. And we have very little support. And Detroit is a big city. It's over 139 square miles. And so it's a lot of, a lot of area to cover. And it's just, and everything is happening so much you know it's like we got a water crisis we got a housing crisis we got a school crisis we got a job crisis it's just so many different issues here and it's all surrounded all lead back to gentrification and uh, you also got a corruption crisis which i want to talk about yeah. so i want to ask you because like when you look at flint for example that was visible because they made a switch you know what I mean? So people getting rashes, hair loss, uh, all that stuff. But in other places that it wasn't a switch, it's like old old pipes that they don't fix um, and things like that. It, it's it's a little bit more, uh, you know, quiet poisoning. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's subtle. But, you know, obviously, if you found high lead levels in the schools, and that's why they shut off the water fountains in the schools, obviously you're endangering the children because children's, brains are still being formed, uh, body, organs, you name it. Can you kind of talk about has there, has there been uh, known problems as far as uh, lead poisoning among kids, behavioral problems? Well, basically, there has no, been. Don't kill my oh, <laughs> well, basically, there has been documented problems within the city of Detroit that is not getting uh, exposure. You know, we don't have a health department here. The health department that we do have is uh, contracted outside of the city of Detroit. So they basically come in and they offer these health recommendations. We have a lead department, but no testing of lead levels in children has been performed. We also have um, uh, health experts that have already concluded that the school's water, along with the city water, uh, with all of these water shutoffs, is containing hepatitis A and other deadly um, uh, diseases. But the water department has basically denied those claims. They will not accept the reports. The mayor of the city of Detroit will not uh, open an investigation as to getting testing of all the children in Detroit public schools. They were already in trouble when they first went back this year. Um, I'm sorry, last year, um, and they were in, it was a whole heat wave, 90 degree heat wave, and they still went to school with bottled water, you know, not adequate uh, supplies to make sure that children are having access to clean quality H2O. It shouldn't come from a bottle, it should come from the tap, but let alone let me, to make sure it's a public health and safety violation um, that has to be rendered. You know, we have to make sure that certain things are in place. Joanna and I were actually uh, at a rally in front of the uh, school center building 
happening uh, last year. And one of the main things that I said that certain protocols was not in place, certain communications have not taken place. They have allowed these children to come to school and you're not um, like no no child should be in school while the water this is the water that they drink out of when they go to play is being contaminated. And then you're, you're brushing it off. Nikolai Vitti brushed it off as saying, oh, well, we're going to put these things. But he, Nikolai Vitti is the um, superintendent. I, um, I kind of uh, uh, give him credit for trying to handle the problem, but it should have been handled in a way to where, you know, certain processes and protocols should have taken place. ask you a follow-up because it seems to me let me let's let's put it this way if the upper west side of manhattan had they found high lead they'd be in there probably within 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 two hours Mm -hmm. they'd probably dig up dig up some yard dig up the streets because those are frankly wealthier uh parents and children so how is it that they shut they they shut down the water fountains but they're not checking the infrastructure on the ground they're just putting new faucets and and filters on oh because the because the detroit water and sewage department says that you know even though that's their responsibility certain things they cannot engage with so they divided the fine line i remember um joanna going to the mayor's meeting uh district community meeting to to uh bring up this issue and the mayor literally disrespected um, the citizenry. Also, Gary Brown, the executive director of DWSD, said that he talked to Nikolai Vitti. Um, there are certain uh, things that he wouldn't tell us. But as I understood was, oh, there are certain boundaries where we could uh, get on the pipes, but the Detroit Public School Board will have to approve contracts for certain piping to be done by uh, contractors. Now, that's a problem to me because we've been through that road before where we have had contractors uh, get in on some of the bids and work was not performed or it was little uh, little to no work done at all. So, you know, when you say that um, the our own water workers that we pay for, what well, we used to pay for, now they're outsourced, um, that they can't get on these pipes, that, that's become, that lets me know that, you know, you really don't care about the quality of our children. Part of the main problem that we face is that it's misrepresentation. And that's just not just from a school board perspective, but it's also from our city council and our mayor, our administration as well. They do not represent the people. And it's based on the people having no interest in government, no interest in school board members. The voting turnout in this city is no more than 23%. So you got 77%. That's mean hundreds of thousands of people that has no interest in local politics. So if they not have no interest in local politics, they, they turning their back on the school system, they turning their back on gentrification, poverty, and every all services that's supposed to be rendered to us. And that's the problem. And the administration, they know that. They know the people done turned their back on it based on lack of faith and ignorance. So they doing anything they want to the people as a result of that. If I can just say that, you know, even take it like going back to protocol and processes 
it shouldn't take a citizens community group to do water testing around the neighborhoods where the schools are tainted. This happened back in 2015. It was with one school called Spain Elementary School. That was the school that got the Ellen uh, $500,000. And then they're, they, 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 I'm sorry, they got a, a check from Ellen for Ellen DeGeneres for $500,000. That school, the in the next few weeks after that check, it was determined that, you know, they were in horrible situations, but that their water was contaminated. And then it was 30-something schools that also had found to have contaminated water. The superintendent said, then I'll get on this, I'll take care of it, and we have not heard anything until last year when it was said that over 50 schools now barely that's that we don't have that many schools we used to have 270 something schools now down to a hundred and to the low hundreds so if that's half of the Detroit public schools that has contaminated water don't you think you want to bring in health officials and people now he tried to tap Dr. Mona Atisha, the um, doctor in Flint that discovered the lead. Um, he tried to get her to hold this uh, uh, work group among uh, stakeholders and experts. I fought to be on that board. And within three weeks of its creation, Nikolai Vitti scrapped the board and said, well, we got these recommendations. We're just going to follow them. And uh, the school's water issue should be taken care of. But as I checked, you know, as of recently, and you'll talk to uh, Elena Geralda. She's the uh, school board member in exile. She will tell you that they literally took those recommendations and they have not done anything with it because we haven't heard updates from the school board meeting since uh, Nikolai Vitti made that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to ask a follow-up. So are the, are the water fountains still shut down or are they reopened the water fountain? Still shut okay, down. got it. Yeah, and... Um, Going back to what Miko said about me going to address this to the mayor at the mayor meeting, um, I was escorted out by like 20 officers. So the heavy police presence that he has at his community uh, meetings discouraged the residents from coming out to participate. But it was a lot of angry parents there, and it was a lot of children there expressing their concerns about the safety of the water. And it, it once again, it was not um, a welcoming you know, you would think somebody who's the mayor of the city of Detroit will own and take responsibility. He put off blame to everybody else. And at the end of the day, these are your children because you are the mayor over the city. And he has never, ever talked in a way where he actually concerned about these children and the parents of these children. And that's why it boils down to the parents and the school board putting pressure on, on the school board to actually produce some results. Because at the end of the day, we do got elected school board. You know, we do got elected school board. And the school board has not has done very little to protect those children in DPS. And they get tons of money because the city of Detroit is has a 50% over a 50% pr uh, poverty rate. It's a uh, highest in the country. We are a Tideman city because we have such a high concentration of poverty and the Detroit public school is a title one. So they get all kinds of funding, you know? And so the question is where this money coming, uh, um, where's this money going to the state didn't have control over our school system and they have mismanaged hundreds of millions of dollars. We haven't got an explanation on where the schools, uh, where the school money have went to. Um, also we have the lottery that's supposed to go to fund all the Michigan schools. When it comes to the city of Detroit, it's short 
change. We like Miko said, we had hundreds of schools that got shut down for for no reason at all. And uh, outside of they saying, well, it's low population. Well, people was continuing to move out of the city of Detroit because there is no services here. We have the highest con uh, highest car insurance in the country. We have um, now the highest one of the highest rents, you know, because of the gentrification. Uh, we paying the cost of living in the uh, city of Detroit is at fifty thousand, but the average person in the city of Detroit make uh, twenty seven thousand. Most of them making under twelve thousand dollars a year. So this issue about water is uh, is um is it's a growing crisis in the Midwest, if you ask me. But and and this is battleground in Michigan. Michigan, yeah, it's the battleground in Michigan. We once had. Uh, Michigan has the Great Lakes. We our water and sewage this, uh, system department is worth what eight eighty billion plus the. $800 billion, $800 billion system that was funded by the taxpayers, okay, that covers the city of Detroit and 127 suburban communities, okay. We, this, this is a profitable uh, water department that was stripped from the city of Detroit uh, with a bankruptcy that was totally contrived totally contrived by the uh, last governor, Governor Snyder. And, uh, and five years later, we're seeing the total impact and effect of all these, you know, authorities and all these uh, people, financial management, and how it totally affected us in our community. And the result is death. You know, it's a slow death, but it surely is a death. I just want to make a point to you guys and the audience so you know, I'm not being rude. I'm kind of my own social media, yeah. so I'm sharing the interview oh, yeah. while we're live. Oh, so I didn't, want you to, I didn't want you to think I'm, like, not paying attention. Oh, no, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. So just making sure you know, audience, I'm paying attention, but I'm trying to get bigger people on social media to press the share button. Okay. So I wanted to ask you because, uh, you know, like, people heard emergency manager for the first time when it comes to Flint. But there was an, an emergency manager put in in Detroit. Yes. And frankly, if you want to talk about threats to democracy, yes. Russia comes last. Yes. This comes first. Yes. Because what an emergency manager is, is essentially just an extension of the governor. Yes. It's just an unelected person that takes over power for those who are elected. Mm -hmm. You could say that the people you elected are shitty too, mm -hmm. but they're not making decisions in Flint, and they weren't here. Can you kind of talk about, and by the way, it was a Democratic governor. Democrat. Democratic, Democratic governor Democratic. Uh, Jennifer Granholm yes. inserted an emergency manager into here. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, uh, A, is there still an emergency manager? And B, uh, what power does the elected government have under these emergency manager laws? Well, I will speak as far as being a commissioner of the Detroit Charter Commission. I can tell you, our 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 local municipality been totally destroyed by the financial management depart government departments that we used to have no longer have. We have uh, been infiltrated with over I uh, over fifteen different uh, authorities, which is these um, um, basically. Well, how you how you call it a smaller version of government? We have a land bank authority, quasi, quasi yeah, a quasi government that we that's controlling our land, that's controlling our water, that's controlling even the light fishers, our uh, everything. I mean, we have a land bank authority, we got a, a building authority, we got a lighting authority, we got this TIF, which is t um, stand for Tax Increment Finance, where they're taking all the money that's genera generated in our downtown area. And they keep it there. They keep it there to do private development with public funding, with public money that is supposed to go to our city services. So we have been totally uh, taken over 
by big business and corporations that has pretty much just demolished any any kind of democracy. We have no democracy. We have uh, no accountability, no responsibility for our elected officials. And they claim they have power, but every time we challenge them on something, oh, the state, oh, the state, oh, the state. We have the financial re review board that is supposed to be doormat, but I was told that if the city of Detroit get a certain amount of waivers, so the state says that they do these annual reports to the state, and if they get um, 10 waivers, then they come back and take over um, the city of Detroit government again. Uh, we have retirees that lost their whole entire pensions. You know, I'm talking about people who had, you know, maybe 100000 losing fifty to 60000 Some people lost all their pension in the bankruptcy, and 60%. Uh, the bankruptcy was financed. The debt was paid by retirees, even though the state of Michigan protected their pensions uh, uh, under the state constitution. So when we talk about Detroit, a city that used to be a blue-collar city where the middle class, the birth of the middle class, you know, the unions, all of that, we're talking about a city that used to have so much, you know, so-called middle-class America to be nothing more right now than a, a shadow of what it used to be. And we're fighting on the ground to um, to fight for whatever left is in the city because everything been outsourced and privatized out. I want to I I ask you, because you were talking about uh, kind of like citizen, um, whatever you would call it, uh, lack, lack of inf uh, ignorance or lack of information. But what she's describing is essentially the Gestapo. <laughs> I mean, you're you're just layering one layer of. Frankly, it doesn't even sound legal. Uh, you know, you, you're layering a, you're laying you're layering you know, a legal bureaucracy over a legal bureaucracy over a legal bureaucracy, and it kind of sounds like they're doing it to basically just make the people move out or yeah. or become hopeless. I'm not I'm not defending citizen inaction, but uh, you were saying part of it is the citizens. So many people don't vote. Is it because? they feel like they're being stomped and, and hopeless. Our people, going back, I'm, I'm talking about particularly black people, the lack of local in, uh, voting empowerment has been, a, been an issue, and that's going all the way back since slavery, since the Reconstruction. We have always had only national representation because black calls were state and local clamps on black people and that went on for hundreds of years every act every voting rights act all came from the national government so we never was able to comprehend the fact that we runs a thousand municipalities that the demographics is all black and we never ever capitalized off that voting power and that municipal power where we can elect officials that directly affects our life and that's that 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 thought. I mean, that point is being missed in the black community. I wanted to touch on something y'all said about the school system and the emergency manager, because when they when the, when Grand Home did put the emergency, they also did something to the school system where they tricked the voters to enact to enhance security in the schools. And when the voters thought that they was enhancing security, they took millions of dollars out the fund and they built took. Uh, took an old tore down school and turned it into a police force 
for Detroit Pub Public School Police Department with their own chief of police, they own assistant chief, they own inspectors, they own K-9 unit, and this all funded from $10.3 million out the general fund of the school. This going on every year when you got a felon school system. That precinct look better than most of the schools that they built. I'm talking about it don't got no water problems. It don't got no structure problems. It's state of the art. And this is a precinct straight up funded. So this is the mentality of our elected officials and what they think about people. A place to, to incarcerate them is more important than a place to school them and to educate them. And that was enacted under the emergency manager as well. But that's, that's the major problem, that we don't have the connection with local voting in our community. Once we can grab that, we can be better off as a people. I, I just wanted to say... Um, First of all, I was around the emergency manager takeover back in 2011. Uh, we, the voters, this was put up to a vote. And 53% of Michiganders voted against emergency management because they saw it was a takeover of their communities, charter municipalities, or village township. Michigan is made of these municipalities, certain villages where there is a certain way of government. It's violation of the Home Rules Act, City Act. It's also violation of city charters across the state of Michigan. We voted no on those grounds. And the legislate, the governor, Governor Rick Snyder, went back and pulled uh, the legislator to come back to the table, revise Public Act 4, that is now 436 that is appropriated with the budget and it cannot be repealed by the citizens of Michigan. Well, when that law took place uh, while we were unwrapping our presents at Christmas 2012, April 4th, 2013 was when Kevin Orr got here to the city of Detroit as our emergency manager. That man was disrespectful. He was not courteous to the citizens. His first meeting was full full of people, and he threatens the community saying, oh, we, you know, he knows our, he's supposed to know our history. He'll cut our throats and leave us bl bloody in the middle of the street with the best of them. That was a, th a clear threat. And then when he went to butcher the unions. He went to butcher the pensions. He's also outsourcing. He's selling things. He threatened to sell our art um, museum that attracts the biggest attractions uh, in this country, the Detroit Institute of Arts. He cut the pensioners, offered, got an offer of $195 million to give to the pensioners for them to split. He also gave away our biggest assets um, to corporate philanderers and folks that should be in jail. Belle Isle is our biggest resource. He stole that, put it in a contract, and then uh, packaged it up to where the legislator voted on for 99, not, uh, third, for, um, I'm sorry, 30 years. It was originally for 10. They wanted 99 years. We said no. Um, the water department, our biggest asset, we got that back from Kevin Orr after the shutoffs had happened. Now, two days he, before he announced the mass shutoffs that would devastate this city, he announced privatization because, and uh, uh, bids for privatization. That in, uh, enticed Veolia Water to submit their proposals. And they are the ones that now have the contract. 
for you paying attention at home, Veolia Water was one of those involved with the Flint water crisis. Yes, they were. and they're the the main one that's here. They did um, a plan of a plan of uh, of adjustment back in twenty. 12, 2013, to send recommendations of if the Detroit water and sewerage system goes private, it will be ran under this model. That model has not worked. It has not worked in other in also places around the world. Um, the biggest takeaway from this is that an emergency manager is almost akin to a man coming into your home, having sex with your partner or your wife or whomever, and then forcing you to watch, taking over your finances telling you to go make him something to eat and you sitting here now defenders of democracy are not going to let an outsider come into their city to take over what god knows what without the citizens uh, uh input and approval now this is what happened to detroit they feel uh the state of michigan officials and though it was federally arbitrated this bankruptcy that happened in 2014, June 2014, we were bankrupt. And it was made headline news all across the world. The Motown Sound, the, the place that put the world on wheels, the arsenal of democracy is now bankrupt. We have no money. And the memorandum of understanding was to say in the bankruptcy court, this is what goes on with all of our assets, our water. We have, we have been leased by the suburbs of to the tune of $50 million for our water system when it's $800 billion to operate and maintain. We just got a report in that says that the Great Lakes Regional Water Authority was illegally propped up and it was also uh, projected to make the bill pass. So we got so while the bankers got bailed out, we got sold out. That's basically what it is. Though so emergency management for whom? It's not for the citizens because this isn't our fault. It's now our fight because we because it, it's not anything that we would have done. We have elected officials in power that are spineless, that do not stand up for the will of the people. When Joanna and I come down to these city council meetings and Ramon, they want to look at us as if we crazy, if we're, we're disruptors because we ask certain questions because we highlighted certain things that we need clarification. Then they go in the back rooms and talk about whatever it is and come back and say we made a decision. I just, I just wanted this. Uh, I just wanted to um, just talk about a little bit about the history of the city of Detroit. It's, um, this, this, uh, this is a predominantly black city, just like Flint. Uh, we had a 1967, uh, what they call, we call it rebellion, but other people would call it a race riot. Okay, um, and that, and that, what, what happened was, is that a lot of Caucasian people move out of the city, and so it's always been this thing that we're going to take Detroit back from the black people. And we had uh, a mayor by the name of Komene Young who was very adamant about keeping Detroit predominantly black because of the ex racist suburbs, pretty much. You know, Brooke Patterson and... Al Brooke Patterson, I mean, we would, I mean, they made it very clear if we go, go across Eight Mile, this street called Eight Mile, that we'll be harassed, you know, even killed. So it was really bad, you know. And um, as a little girl, we was always taught, don't go across Eight Mile, you know, say, are you going to get harassed? So I think that after Coleman A. Young died, he, I think he put stuff in place. And then we had another mayor who basically wanted to we call sell out to the white folks and created 
uh, policies that didn't benefit the city of Detroit resident at all, but benefited the suburbs to the point where all our jobs was basically given out to the suburbs. And even to this day, you know, 70% of the jobs downtown. Now, matter of fact, 90% of the jobs downtown. 90% of the job downtown is not held by Detroit. It's not Detroit residents. All of them is out, uh, out, outside of the city of Detroit. And 70% of everybody living in the city got to drive miles away just to make $10 an hour. So this was a, a strategic, a well-strategic plan to not only reduce the population of the city of Detroit because it was predominantly black, but to make sure we would never regain any uh, real power or have the control over the so-called resources of the city of Detroit. And we had uh, particularly our own elected officials, which predominantly was black, that helped orchestrated this. You know, and so when you think about the city of Detroit, I just want people to understand that a lot of the situations that, that happened to the city of Detroit, it was out of our hand. It was A lot of that stuff was on a state. The state of Michigan has targeted every predominantly black city in the whole entire state, from Detroit to Flint to Benton Harbor, Pontiac, I mean, uh, Holland Park, you name it, all have financial managers. But the cooperation from our own elected people who, who are predominantly black assisted in destroying and um, this destroying their own culture and people and so I just want people to understand that that we we are resilient people we've been fighting on the ground but we also can stop this gentrification process in the city of Detroit and we can have a redevelopment of the city and without displacement can I just mention something yeah. so I just want to bring up to connect it to General Motors too oh, yeah. Yeah. so yeah, yeah. One of the plants they're closing, uh, General Motors is laying off nearly 15,000 workers in North America after getting $8.1 billion in profit last year, after getting $55 billion in uh, bailout, after getting $514 million from Trump's tax cut. So they're, they're closing down the Detroit, I, I keep mispronouncing it, Hamatrack? Detroit Hamtramck plant. Detroit Hamtramck plant. But you'll know more about it than me, but the Detroit... Hamtramck plant was built by using eminent domain yep. to decimate a whole community yep. of Pole Town. Yep. You guys would yes. know better than me. Yeah. So uh, between eminent domain and now uh, on top of these problems, they're laying off these workers, which frankly, I'm sure a lot of the workers don't even live in Detroit. No. So um, it, it's just, it's all connected. This, the corporation's hijacking yep. the national government. Mm -hmm. It has a trickle-down uh, effect down. to the state. Yeah. You wanted to add something? Yes, I, I, I wanted to, Exactly. You know, the problem with, with uh, the GM is that uh, the city of Detroit still has eminent domain over that land, and God knows what they can uh, pull. And that's why we're saying we want the GM plant to stay. We want those workers uh, to be given, you know, uh, a reprieve. First of all, GM should not be cutting any jobs that they've just gotten any money. Don't run that game to me that we don't have no money and we're cutting off uh, workers at the blue collar level. GM, ha the, the car companies here have already been compromised. The f dream of working in the factory and having the piece of the American dream is no longer. You know, they're even cutting uh, wages at 14 to 30 something an hour uh, working on on the plants. So we, we don't have any benefits. And the workers there are struggling. They're struggling. They, they cashed in their 401ks. They have literally nothing left to show for it. And you're going to cut their jobs, send them overseas. What, what are we going to do with the – that will kill the economy.
of Detroit. We won't have any tax base because people will have to move out to find other jobs and other opportunities, and that opens the right door to gentrification because they will take that land, try to come up with some name or some uh, hipster type. You know, it, it just makes no sense to act so rash as to cut jobs without creating a secession plan to get those workers into uh, other uh, jobs within GM. I, w I wanted to say something. I want to touch on gentrification here in Detroit. The, the, the major component when we're talking about what's happening in, in Detroit is that they're using our resources in order to do what they're doing. And I'm going to give you an example. Most of the federal money that's coming in to help with housing, Section 8, they're taking it, mixing it with private developers, shutting down public subsidized housing, and then they mixing them. I'm going to give you an example. When they closed a, a housing project, when they opened it, it was 2,100 units. When they got down to displacing those people, it was only 200 low-income units, and the rest of the units became mixed income so the ant they use her funding which the basis of that funding is poverty that's the same with everything they did on how they carved up detroit over the last five years they took federal funds coming in from the hardest hit funds and they took them they they they, they drawed up areas that they wanted to gentrify first and they target those areas for what they call blight removal which they hid under demolition Okay, and they tore down par partials in those areas with no intentions on building in no area. So they carved them up and they used the funds. Those funds was meant to help our people with that was failing with their mortgages. Then none of the city council members fight on behalf to help nobody with their failing mortgage. They went further, the city council. They enacted afterwards, they enacted a law to give themselves half off the property that the people had lost here and gave their family members half off the property. They, they needed family, gave all contract half off the property that was taken from people under nuisance abatement, which is the same thing as eminent domain, which is they've been, what they've been using here. And not only that, under all the federal funds. So the major component is they using the things that was meant to help us in order to hurt us. I want to talk about because I did a uh, did a lot of work around the housing crisis in the city of Detroit. We lost over a hundred thousand homes in the city of Detroit, and twenty I believe twenty eleven the old. The old treasury before Eric Shabri foreclosed on 100,000 people's homes in one year, making us the first American city to ever foreclose on that many homes at one time. And what's so sad about it is that 70% of those homeowners was actually qualified to get their taxes exempt because they was too poor to pay for them. And now ACLU has sued the city of Detroit and won a lawsuit based upon the fact that they intentionally foreclosed on these people's homes. And when... Um, um, President Barack Obama sent the, the federal fund, which is the hardest hit fund. The city of Detroit was sent hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions of dollars to assist in this crisis. And our own governor, Snyder, 
and our mayor, Mike Duggan, intentionally went to the United States government, to the Department of Treasury, and asked, can they divert that money to remove blight in our community? And then our mayor had given all the contracts to demolish these properties to predominantly white construction companies to the tune where I can show you these big, huge demolition holes in the city of Detroit, that's all in the city of Detroit that basically we got over 700 of these um, holes in, in the city of Detroit that I've been trying to get filled um, in, in, this, in the city for, for months now. And that is totally dangerous to our community and our public and everything. And I, I, well, I, I got to find it. But I could just show you all these demolition holes that we have in the city of Detroit. And um, this, this fraud, this is playing out corruption. This, this is totally illegal, but this happens when you don't have citizens that is willing to vote these people out. And they have this fear tactic that they do with our residents. They give us a little crumbs to, to, to the elderly people. We call it the chicken dinners. You know, they'll go to the nursing homes and they give out little chicken dinners and then, oh, vote for me, oh, vote for me. And since only like we got 400,000 registered voters and only 20% of them actually vote, so they able to win whole elections in districts that got a hundred thousand people with ten thousand votes. You know, small, 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 small percentage of voters that's voting. And so one of our major goals, outside of me being the um Detroit Charter Commission is that I'm actually rewriting what I, the, the city of Detroit Charter, which is our local constitution, so we can lay the fr uh, framework in a way what is actually benefiting the residents of the city of Detroit. But on top of that, actually creating a campaign to increase the amount of people to vote between the ages of 18 and 35 and uh, an election that we're about to have in 2021. I know you're going to call me a Debbie Downer, yeah. but like I have cynicism in my blood. Yeah. So let me ask you a question about that. So if the federal government don't give a shit about the Constitution, yeah, right. they don't. <laughs> I mean, we're in like eight illegal wars and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, not, to, not to diminish your work, right. but I'm just asking you uh, what safeguards as part of that Constitution. I, I, is it a new Constitution or is it more structural reform? In total, yeah, it's more the 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 city of Detroit, like Miko said. We got Michigan State, uh, Michigan, uh, the state of Michigan has a Home Rules Act that allow townships and, and local municipalities to charter to basically self-govern themselves, okay, and set their own rules on what 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 they like the mayor and the city council. Basically, they hold government what they would like to see and what they legally like to be put in place throughout the city or the township. And so um, our, city, our city charter in the current one was never really used because we was under financial manager. And that's another thing. Under financial manager, they could suspend the charter just like, uh, that, just like they did in Flint and just like Miko said, they did um, in Detroit. And so now, five years after the bankruptcy, this is our first opportunity to write a charter that include all these authorities that has been basically our local uh, assets and uh, public property has been outsourced out. So basically they in this city without no oversight, no oversight, providing public services 
to residents using taxpayer money like the land bank. The land bank is so out of control. They hoard houses, hoard houses for developers, okay? And then they have a, a nuisance debatement policy where you, if you buy a house from the land bank, okay, which is a foreclosure home from, from some poor resident that probably lost their house for, I'm talking about like eight or $900, okay? Um, and guess what they will do? They will tell you, oh, you got to fix up this property in six months. And they will make you sign a contract stating that you got to fix up that house in six months. And you got to do 30 to 40, maybe $50,000 worth of repairs to even get the house up and repaired. But they get to keep their homes that they so-called manage for years, years in the land bank and these houses is not being fixed up is a rat infested um is you you have to live next to this abandoned house for years and now they even petitioned our own city council to give them money from our general fund to fix up technically property that they own okay while they sit there and tell the residents you fix up your house in six months and i get to use your tax money and hoard these houses for developers for years to come creating more blight and and creating our um um more dangerous to the residents because the rodents also the people being found dead in these abandoned houses all kinds of things i i, I want to bring in ty but i also want to point out that um it's all connected because Flint has the land bank too. So that's, oh, yeah. why, that's why I call it the controlled demolition of the middle class. Forget the middle class, just the controlled demolition of living, breathing, working people. Uh, because in, in Flint, the land bank, who, by the way, you know who created the land bank? Congressman Dan Kildee, who represents Flint. And frankly, keeping it real, been frankly a little chicken shit when it comes to... Uh, you know, GM, but also uh, the Flint water crisis. Yeah. But that's a story for another day. So mm -hmm. Land Bank is basically, in, in my view, and residents I've spoken with, basically trying to buy up as much property in the neighborhoods that they want to bulldoze, yeah. in, in the neighborhoods they want to bulldoze, mm -hmm. so that they could put it in a new farmer's market. Exactly. So they could put... They, they, they got basically eminent domain over all this land. Mm -hmm. These are um, properties that have been distressed, that have been abandoned. They were almost on a demolition list. They're given an inspection. Are they savable? Are they rehabable? Uh, they're also put into a database. And with the land bank, you know, you barely have any right of home ownership. This is not home ownership. This is control. I, I know an activist that has been forthright in busting the land bank every chance she gets. Now, she's ran off as seen as, you know, maybe maybe a, a crazy as such. But when you hear her and you give her an opportunity to run down the information, you'll be like, oh, my God, these people are literally cheating. This is monopoly, but a corrupt version of monopoly at hand. The water ties into that as well, because like Joanna said, you lose your home from a lien. You can also lose your home from not being able to pay the water bill at all because you have to move out because if you're renting and your name is on a on the water bill that you're renting from a, a, a landlord 
lord or a scum lord by the by that you know you're responsible for those charges and then that water bill follows you so that makes it hard for you to get in your new place or to move into a brand new dwelling because the water bill that you were supposed to turn on in the new dwelling now you have to turn that now you have to pay that that old bill off in order to turn it back on so it ties into a lot if it's not foreclosures water schools or however you know we basically have and to the citizens uh that have elected you know we 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 don't have a, a turnout we don't have a high voter turnout this last election was a turnout that was like you know 20 percent but had it would have been a presidential election had it would have been you know like where you pick your president your congress people your state legislator your city council men's and all these uh other municipalities of positions you know there was no queen clean sweep and the barely the elected officials that were speaking they haven't even spoke to water shutoffs to uh housing foreclosures and such and they got back in there by certain parts of the establishment the churches the business community uh those who feel that you know we're all probably wrong and we shouldn't be here you know they, they they're voted by those people and and folks that'll be fooled by chicken dinners and licking the boots of those that were paid to say oh well they did a good job on my house oh they took care of my water bill and i don't have no property taxes so what are you talking about miko i mean i'm not struggling like other people are i think other people should do their fair share and yet we don't have no jobs no opportunities or anything to show for it but you drive around downtown detroit and midtown and you think detroit has just struck up a gold mine here To touch, to touch further on, we do have a resolution to deal with what's going on. It's not no great big conspiracy that's going on here. Our elected officials currently right now are voted in by the people by either us voting in or, or us, us not voting. It's no municipality that you would go to in this country that you would have a mayor that has been under four federal investigations. You have a city council member that's currently sitting on staff right now that's under a federal indictment and under three federal probes. So that lets you know that the people would not stand up, and that is the reason, because no people would allow those individuals to continue to be under federal investigations, federal probes from the same thing going on years, cronyism, beer rigging, and bribery, the same thing for years, and no people would stand up against them. So that's the problem right there, again, back to it. If the people come out and vote, 2017, 250,000 people voted for Hillary Rodman Clinton in 2016. 2017, the very next year in Detroit, only 60,000 people went out and voted for the mayor. In some districts, 7,000 people, they went in with 7,000 people when it's 107,000 people. So that's how many people that's not involved. And that is the problem right there. They don't even understand. They complain about the police, but they don't know that the police is controlled by the mayor. They complain about waste. They don't know that the mayor controls the waste. They don't know these things. They, they don't know that when they complain about the water, the mayor appoints Gary Brown. He appoints the water department. The DDA, the Detroit Land Bank, is all appointed by the mayor and the city council. So if you got a problem with them, you got a problem with your mayor because appointing is not going to act 
on behalf of himself. He's going to act on behalf of the person who appointed him. That's our problem in Detroit. And it's a resolution. 77% of the people that's not involved have to understand why it's important that they get involved in local voting. I just want to say a disclaimer, and I just want to throw it out there as a lifelong resident of the city of Detroit. You know, when we talk about race and we talk about issues of this nature, we're not being, um, we're not being in a way, I, I, we're calling it how it is. This town, this whole state, is a racially segregated state. We worse than Virginia, okay? We, we, we ain't got nothing to compare to what, what, I mean, Virginia is nothing to what compared to us. I mean, we are a 80% majority black city. The suburbs and the outlining area, that 1 million people we spoke about earlier, those are the ones that are living in the suburbs of Oakland County, Macomb County, and, and, and other areas surrounding that. Detroit residents are um one i mean we're just down to earth people you know we want a quality of life we want good schools we want uh um you know better services we deserve that we're taxpayers and we're being treated like second-class citizens here and then when we speak about issues of race people get mad and say oh well why are you saying white and black and so because it is what it is you have a group of people that don't look like us that are making decisions and are not including the very same people that it is affecting they can go home at night in Farmington, Bloomfield Hills, any suburban area, but we have to deal with the after effects. Policy drives the conditions of what we're dealing with right now. And when and, and for those that people that say we shouldn't mention race, we should, you know, we're being racist and all. No, this is a reality. This is a true fact of life. And until you understand, because like like Jordan said, this would never happen in uh, any other affluent community. Uh, uh, Flint would have not happened in any affluent white suburban community they would have been, it would be holy hell to pay why is it acceptable for black people why is it acceptable for poor people for for a class of people to accept being denied basic human rights we don't have a right to education we don't have a right to water we don't have a right to to um housing to we don't have a right to anything here and then when we're protesting we're marching we're rallying we're at the table we're developing solutions all three of us have came to each one of those elected officials including the mayor with a solution and they would not listen they don't recognize us i guess we have to wave some money around here for all the people for us to, even then it would be a problem because we want a fair advantage and the fair advantage is better schools better wa clean water at a price we all can pay we share this resource quality schools that our children can become stars and champions we believe in education here in the city of detroit and we have produced stars and champions and underdogs who have competed among the world we put like like i said again when we talk about race we're talking about structural racism as established racism racism that is already ingrained from a, a thought of i'm superior i'm better than you you don't deserve it but i do and then we come to find out it's the friends and family plan they put you up here as a puppet to push this agenda and you only got paid a certain measly thousands of dollars and you didn't care about the residents of the community in the first place when you look at the educational achievement authority and all these other um entities they are not 
subjectable to citizen uh uh to to, to the citizens. So yes, when we do go downtown, the people get stuck. Well, yes, we do go downtown and we complain, and, and we have nobody to talk to because the people that we did try to talk to have brushed us off. There is no ombudsman that we can go to him, uh, and and even then we have nobody that we. So either it be the state, the UN, the World Council in Geneva. I don't know where will we have to go, but we're gonna have. Uh, <laughs> United Nations, yeah, yeah. UN, UN corruption. So, so I got to ask you a question, and, uh, and I mentioned it to you earlier, but this is a pe- subject I'm passionate about. Where in God's fucking name is the local media on this? If you're an actual journalist, like most people get involved in journalism because you get exil- you know, you get a little exhilaration for like chasing the bad guys and holding powerful to account. I mean, Detroit is a gold mine. It is. You could you could literally break story after story and retire in some villa by by thirty five. Seriously. Every journalist that came out of Detroit that tried to really really report got misplaced. Every one of them. So I said every journalist that really really was trying to report on our behalf out of Detroit they end up being misplaced. So. That's that's what we have no faith or I don't even expect nothing. We're doing a recall on the city officials that's indicted for bribery right now, and no news media has covered us. Not one of them. I'm talking about they, the free press wrote an article, the news wrote an article, but I'm talking about the, 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 the straight-up stations, the, the story station. Not one of them covered anything. So... That's where the media at. The media is sold out. We have to depend on our own self. And the people that we have to talk to is the citizens. We have to wake the citizens up to understand what's going on so that they can know who is involved and who is responsible. They don't know. They know something is wrong. They just don't know who's responsible for it. And that's where we come in at to teach them who's responsible and to teach them what, that what we can do to collectively in order to seek some resolve. And I just want to talk about classism. In Detroit, we have a, a classism issue as well as a racism issue. But classism, I think, in Detroit is, is should be highlighted a little bit more because, yes, we have systemic racism as far as the state is concerned, but the city of Detroit, like we said, is predominantly black. And we have a strong classism mentality amongst the African-American community. Like, when you go past Puritan, it's like, you know, they get the best of the best, and that's what happens. Like, they distribute the wealth in this city and those concentrated areas of where is is you know the upper class blacks the educated class blacks and uh, other other poor blacks that make up majority of the city they get ignored they get ignored and they suffer the most i mean we talking about extreme poverty here we're talking about people who have you know a family of four living off of twelve thousand dollars okay a year you were just talking about earlier uh, all these people dying during the polar vortex. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We had reports. See, in 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 um, Detroit, we have a homeless population. Uh, when I was, um, you know, canvassing and my research, I estimated it's approximately over five to ten thousand people just squatting in homes. The land bank homes that has they have over a hundred thousand parcels of a uh, hundred thousand houses in their land bank. 
uh, a lot of those people who got foreclosed on, they had nowhere to go. So they just squatting in the houses and stuff like that. And they can't get utility zones. We'll make a long story short. We got reports that it was people that froze to death in the houses. Okay. And because they live in their homes with no heat, no heat, no gas. And they just, you know, thugging it out, you know. And so... Uh, we have a serious housing crisis, and what's so sad is that Detroit, in the African American community here, we was number one in the country for home ownership. Number one, less than ten years ago, less than ten years ago. So, so when we talk about the the rapid beast of gentrification that this just came through like a tsunami and just snatched all all our homes all our resources that we had and then what when that bankruptcy did when they took all our grandparents and and our elderly people pension that forced them right into poverty you know they they worked their whole life in those plants and they thought they was going to have that nice pension you know not just the excuse me not the plants the city you know they worked like 20 30 years into the city and yeah, and the plants did it too. And when they thought that they was going to retire and live well, or at least live comfortably, that was that dream was taken away from them, you know. And so now we got an excessive amount of our elderly people who's well over in their seventies with no money, homeless, and don't have any food to eat, you know. And so it's it's just uh, so many issues. And like you said earlier, I mean the media. I mean this is a gold mine for the press. I mean I, I told myself I want to write a book about it. I just can't believe that this is America, and I can't believe this amount of cor corruption going on. And that's why I feel. That that it gotta it, for them to contain it the way they containing it. It gotta be from the higher levels of government. You know, it gotta be. It gotta be. It's beyond just the state of Michigan government. I think somebody in the on a federal level say, look, you can do whatever you want to do in Detroit, and nobody will do nothing. Nobody will say nothing. It been several federal investigations with our mayor, city council. They stay investigating, but when they reports come back, oh, we didn't find anything illegal. How? How? Well, we find it every single day. How can you justify not one minority contractor working in the city of Detroit? We got one black contractor in the whole entire city of Detroit doing dem demolition of homes. In the city, 85% uh, black. You got one contractor in the whole entire city, and you how is that legal? How is that legal? How is it legal to shut down over 100 schools with a literacy rate at 47%? How is that legal? How is it legal for them to shut off masses of people water? And, and, and for water bills, that's only 50 60 $100 when we got big corporation businesses owning hundreds of thousands of dollars and nobody says nothing about it. How is that legal when we got stadiums that we spend our tax money for, but we don't even have schools for our children? Children, and they take money from our school funds. And not only that, our housing and, and our city services right now, our garbage workers was laid off. That was outsourced. It just, I mean, how is this stuff legal? How is it legal? And every time we say something, we are the rebels. We are the troublemaker. I get so much hate for just speaking the truth and, and to this power. You know, it's ridiculous. Like, you get venom. You a villain all because you telling the truth. Me and Miko, man, we've been, we've been drugged down, beat down me and um uh, mr ramon we've been we've been 
put through the ringer. And no, and none of us get doing this for you know, paid or for nothing like this. We don't have no arterial motives. But it's just the suffering is so bad here. And it's, it's, so, it's so much in our face. We have no choice but to react. That's like somebody put a gun to your head. You know, you got no choice but to react. And that's how it is. It's like they got this weapon, identification to our head, and we got no choice but to react to it. I just want to say... Oh, my God. It's so true. Joanne and I, we've been definitely been vilified. And, you know, her and I, we work regular jobs. You- I'm ready to fucking, I'm ready to yeah. run, run your, 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 your Everybody says that, but you know what? Let me let me just say, let me just speak to the media angle. You know, they want to prop you up on a donkey. Yeah. And then when the when things go wrong, then they want to crucify you on the cross. The, the biggest investigation the media has done, and it was in the most spiteful, horriblest way I've ever seen media actually done, is the uh, crucifixion of Kwame Kilpatrick. Oh I mean, it was a story. But the way that he went down, and it, it was just unacceptable from media. So basically, Kwame Kilpatrick was our former mayor. Um, as soon as he was elected mayor in 2002, uh, inquiries just start coming in from, you know, this money that was being spent, uh, all of these deals that were coming in and such of that nature. And Kwame Kilpatrick was only accused of bid rigging, uh, but it was actually sleeping with his mistress. That's the secretary. Okay, so that's what he really went to jail for. But then they say that he was bid rigging, engaged in corruption and RICO charges. That was the biggest investigation the media has ever done since that time we have not had a thorough in-depth investigation over city government or anything concerning these people the uh, shady people and those that are mentioned in some of these deals and uh situations the only media that we have to pay attention to is charlie LaDuff, and he was in uh deadline detroit he used to be on the local media here i believe uh something happened uh, and we know what happened because when you start telling the truth and exposing everybody, then that's when that's when you get rankled. Steve Neveling from Motor City Muckraker now worked for the Metro Times. The Metro Times is another journal uh, journalist publication that we look into for news. Um, we also have citizen journalists like yourself, uh, the late Cliff Russell and Angelo Henderson, two radio titans that were informing the community and even give them a chance to come and respond. Okay, we didn't have. We haven't had one word or any story. So when the media, we're the most polarized market in the nation. So you can play race optics. You can play um, classism and such. You know, the water situation, how that PR was uncovered was that they – contrived the story that poor people was not paying their bills simply because they believe we I mean poor people believe that water is free and such and we were spending money on cable TV and big screen TVs and such and I've investigated every um, uh, person in the city of Detroit that have called needing water help that is not the case that is not the case Joanne and I have been on the front uh, been at some citizen homes so the media will paint a picture a very grim picture and it goes our our local media goes across the state 
it's even uh, transferred to different outlets across the country. Um, there's one side. That's their side. Our side is never like we broke the media lockout in 2014. Uh, because we wanted our stories to be heard. That's how they were able to cover the water crisis. That's how they were able to cover different situations here, because activists and citizens stepped up to speak when we were being vilified and we didn't want to speak to the media at all. You know, we had people fly in here to do stories and, and such, and they never go anywhere because people can't understand the, the the main part of that, when you're being taken over, you literally have no recourse to action. It's more than just pay your effing water bill. Mm -hmm. It's more than that. Th when the corporations are paying their water bills, when these real estate barons getting away with bundles of property that they're not keeping up, no, that is the citizen media and exposing the truth and the real like what we do is not being i mean it's being promoted now but it, there was no outlet here in the city of detroit uh, i, I want to ask you guys a question i'm saying this is a white guy so i know what i know i don't know what i don't know but but it seems to me you know you saw all these people from the south black people from the south yeah. come up to detroit mm -hmm. you know the american dream like you were talking about they start working at the factories all that then you start seeing white flight mm -hmm. as a result of that. So white people uh, going out to the suburbs, this and that. So it kind of seems to be like a reverse osmosis here where they're just trying to push those black people that came up here, yeah. get the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, and you could say that for Flint and other places too. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me like the, the black population that came up and, you know, built Detroit yeah. mm -hmm. the same as white people did in those factories, maybe even more, you could tell me. Essentially, the, the white people, and by white people, I'm talking about the oligarchy. Yeah. So from the national to the local to the state, the business is basically one and the same with the government. All of this gentrification, gentrification is like a foreign term to a lot of people. It just means get the, writ, get the stomp on the poor and yeah. get them the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, am, I, am I missing something yeah. here? Yeah, and uh, I'm going to um, we, we we call it the great mi great migration from the south to the north in the black community where my parents my grandmother came here in 1950 from mobile alabama and so just like they came here seeking a new life and they did build detroit like yes it was a caucasian class here but if we talk about the automobile you can you can hear you can read research for motor company they literally went to the south to uh, lure black people to the automobile factories to build up the, the assembly lines and stuff like that to push out those cars. So Detroit was really built on the backs of the. Uh, I just want to add, Ford just laid off a thousand. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you look at the history of these automobile companies and all this, we the into you know all these factory jobs and not you know Detroit Axle that was another big company. All they made all the axles and throughout the whole entire world. So the the the, the underclass that from the south that was escaped in basically uh, segregation, black code, Jim Crow. Like you know my grandma told me horror stories about the south. They came up here. They helped build up Detroit. Um, the I guess the Caucasian people didn't like them and didn't want to live around them as they progressed and you know wanted what you call the american dream and then when um, michigan became you know unsegregated un un schools and stuff like that my mother was one of the first you know black women 
you know, black class to uh, integrate Cody High School. So all this stuff, all with, with all the stuff that was happening in Detroit, it was always racial tension. It was always racial tension the whole entire time. So after 50 years, it's like a climax. So, you know, it's like, you know, you so-called black people had this city for 50 years and look at it. But they don't talk about the profit sharing revenue that we didn't have for 50 years. They don't talk about how they've been robbing the state, have been literally creating policy to extract wealth from the citizens of Detroit. And I just looked at the uh, mayor budget. And I and I looked at what generate money in the city of Detroit, and it's the property taxes. So the city of Detroit is built upon the property taxes, and majority of the people that own property is black people. So they are paying their taxes. They are paying their way. Is that their money being mismanaged by corrupt individuals that we put in office, and this to to justify some of the stuff with our uh, our voters? Because I love the people. We have a corrupt election department too. Okay, so we don't know, so you know, because if you can recall back in 2016, I mean, Detroit, over 70% of the city uh, basically vote was suppressed. And we couldn't even count for 70 people who came out to vote in 2016 because none of the votes can be recount, recounted. You know, Jill Stein came here and everything trying to do the recount and stuff like that. And they discovered that, you know, our voting system here is also corrupt. We didn't have the same um, uh, city clerk for 16 years. That's another problem. We have the same people in these positions for uh, 16 years or, or more, and they've been doing the same corruption for so long. And so it's hard. Hard to get rid of them because they in these positions and they controlling the votes they controlling the resources they controlling the purse strings of the city of detroit and everybody that speak up they'll tell us well won't you you know try speaking a different way or practice what they call a facility what's that called um, um, i'll be more cello and you know they, they want us to be more um uh, docile, something. docile more docile uh, you know uh, they want us to have more I, I, it, it's a whole bunch of racist Yes, yeah, it's, yeah. We get called all, all, we get called so many names. I can't even keep up with all the names we get called for simply telling the truth. It's like, and then we had a paperwork right in front of them, and they just be sitting there like, well, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. So it just, it's it just so ridiculous how we get, you know, so much crap for just telling the truth and demanding that the taxpayers get proper representation. I, I wanted to say something and want to go back and touch on the mayor and the, the demolition for a minute. But I want to first touch on the migration because that's a very important part of our history. During the migration, Detroit was one of the first cities that our people migrated to. And it was one of the, it was one of the, the, the cities with the largest population. Currently, every city during the three migrations that happened, whether it was three of them over the last hundred years, during the three migration, this is the last city that's been gentrified out of every other city. They done went through Oakland, Harlem, um, Cleveland, Jersey, Louisiana, Atlanta, Georgia, Washington, D.C. All these predominantly black cities are already done. Right now, we are in the midst of the last black city. Now, when you talk about them demolition projects, you talk about the mayor, you spoke about Kwame Kilpatrick. This current mayor has done the exact thing or worse than him. I'm talking about hands down, rig, big rigging. When they, they call him on giving 
contracts to three companies. And we and me and the sister just did a, a video on one of the companies that was the largest recipients of the hardest hit fund, which is Homridge. They received $50 million totally, and that's a, that's a, 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 a demolition company out of the, another county. All white demolition company out of they received the the butt yeah the butt of the demolition project but they called them on overcharging them on um, the demolition um, houses they was charging them ten five to ten times more than the median price median price nine thousand they up to fifty thousand dollars for houses right now and the median price in the Midwest is nine thousand dollars. Okay, so these companies, not only that, the federal government sent down um, um, invoices saying all the demolition companies have overcharged us for these. And you know what the city of Detroit did? They turned right around, paid it out the taxpayers' money, did not, did not go after none of the companies, no corporate counsel to go after none of the companies to return the money and turned around and did business with them. So it lets you know that if you rip me off, and I don't, and I pay you back, and I pay out my money, and don't go after the money, and then do business with you. I was a part of that ripoff with you. I gotta be. That's why I paid it off. And it's the mayor. Not only that, all the federal probes. He he admitted on record. Yes, I violated the the law. Yes, I did not go through the proper ramifications of those bids. But I got a reason why I didn't violate the law. I have a justification. And his justification didn't make logical sense to reasonable people because he waited until a month before the funds was not going to be available, violated the law and say we had to violate the law because we out of time. If we wouldn't have violated the law, we would have missed out on the funds when he could have did. So this is going on with, with him on numerous levels. But what he got that Kwame didn't got, he have. The, the, the paper on his side, it would not report. And, and they turned the churches against Kwame first. And, and he has a stronghold on the churches by him giving what they call community benefits to them. He gives property to all the churches in Detroit. He gives property to them. They, 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 are, they set up, most of the pastors have set up limited liability companies where they got property in these limited liability companies. And, right. And they use it. And that's how they using them to, in order to get voters. The churches got the largest portion of voters. So the mayor know we cannot give them money. So what we can do, set up an ordinance around giving people property. And so they become recipients of prime property, and they be in favor of them, and they be able to sway the church population in order to vote for them. Yeah. So I um so the church is like he got over a hundred pastors. The mayor got over a hundred pastors to endorse him. And these pastors in Detroit, we're talking about people like uh, Wayne T. Jackson, that's worth like. $20 million. I mean, church is big business here. We're talking about mega churches here. We're talking about people who got $20 million something dollars. They're living um, not even in the city of Detroit, but they still have their business inside in the city of Detroit. And even we found out some of their congregation don't even live in the, in the city of Detroit. They drive in the city of Detroit. They use the city of Detroit. And they got so much influence where they can actually, um, you know, determine who gets elected in a city that they don't even live in, that they don't even pay taxes in. And a lot of the churches, they don't pay taxes on them churches, so they just making straight money 
from uh, from the city, taking it out wherever they are, and then you, Lord forbid, in the black community, you say anything about the pastors. I got a lot of heat. I have ran for, yeah, yeah. I got a lot of heat. I ran for city council. I ran for city council in 2017, and I had did a church protest. And man, they oh man, I was the talk of the town because I tried to hold these pastors accountable. And um, with the pre my previous organization, and when when I went out there to stop them. The stop the pastors and reason with them like look how can y'all sit here and support and endorse a man that's an under a federal investigation that's doing this to our community and they laughed in my face so that goes back into the classes i'm not talking about and so what you would think the the churches be the safe place for us to go to and organize and try to get people to be aware they working against us too we don't have nobody helping us outside of the three, four, five, or six small group of grassroots activists trying to do this big task, taking on this big giant, and all we got is a slingshot, which is our, our voice. And, you know, and I still believe in the power of the people. The people is the power, and we got to have hope. Because if we don't have hope, we might as well dig our own grave and just jump in it, because you got to fight. You got to fight. So we're going to continue to fight. And I hope that people understand that we are resilient and we're not going to give up. But we want some national attention to this crisis that we are in. And the city of Detroit should not go out like this because we are a great city. And we had we offer so much. We sacrifice so much to the world. And for us to be treated like this, it just it breaks my heart. And I don't even want to. It, this is this is what we go through. I mean, if it ain't her crying, it's me crying. If, if it ain't all of us and, and feeling a certain way, this is what Detroiters feel: stress, PTSD. Um, they, I mean, we've had clients die. I'm sorry, my clients. They've died off of, of of stress. You know, dealing with water issues and everything is else. When, what I would just want to say, just strictly to. Uh, the wrap up of everything you just heard is like, you know, Detroit is literally under siege. We have literally nobody in our corner fighting for us. We, 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 we're tired. We are tired. We, we've done the work of, I mean, it's like David versus Goliath in the city, you know, and. Like three Goliaths. <laughs> well, we. We, 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 it's a very horrible, I, I've never, ever, in my, all my life living here, when people talk about the great migration, all I could talk about is me being a Detroit kid of the 90s and what I saw when I was a little boy. Woodward Avenue was not even developed. You had people downtown, but it wasn't popping like it was right now. It was pretty desolate to the point where, you know, everything was shut down by five o'clock. And even after that, you know, there was nothing going on, unless if there was a sporting event that happened here. When I was a kid in uh, Detroit in the 90s around Coleman Young, Coleman Alexander Young, that was a maverick of this city, you know, because he kept the public trust. He kept the public rule within the people. And the people had made their own destinies. We've had this city. We have this city. We still do. But when it's being usurped, and taken over and literally um, we're being sold out by the tune of pieces of silver.
by those that that you know need to be i don't know what they do in medieval times if you're being caught you know selling out the town or whatever there has to be some public punishment or something but something has cut the head off or or, or the head or something like that somewhere in that nature but detroit citizens deserve justice we deserve better i know me living as a resident here in the city of detroit yes i thought about moving out a few times but i but if I make it here in Detroit, I can make it anywhere. But I would rather live and die in Detroit because Detroit is all I know. Detroit is my heart. I will never give up or leave this city under any circumstance. You can't run me out. You can't run us out. You can't take us out. They're going to have to kill me before I give up anything of my uh, power here in the city of Detroit as a resident here. I just want to ask you guys to, before we close, you know, obviously – the numbers are the numbers. Worst poverty in America. Frankly, it just, do you know the game SimCity mm -hmm. when you were younger? Yeah. How you could build up a city? But originally in that game, there's nothing there. It's, nope. it's empty land and you build, you build it as you want. It seems like the only, this was SimCity reversed. Like there was already something here and they just are building over it, <laughs> you know? So I, I want to ask you, because I, I think everything's interconnected. So this is Predominantly, this isn't environmental racism. This isn't. This is racism, period. But everything is interconnected. So I always tell the audience, listen, it's 100%. Uh, the black people have experienced it much worse than the white people. But it's coming for all of us. Yeah. I mean, because honestly, the oligarchy at the end. Martin Luther King got killed once he started talking about jobs and, and yes. labor yes. and yes. economy. Yeah. So it, it's really that. So what I'm telling the audience is, it might. Detroit might not be you. You might live in a decent neighborhood, but eventually it's coming for you because they want to get rid of poor people and working people. Yeah. So what can people do? Because that people don't live in that people that don't live in Detroit. What what what? Because it seems like there needs to be basically like a, a an immediate call to peaceful arms, not violence, but a, a call to organizing and, and arms. Because this is beyond a crisis. It's a it's a disaster what you're describing I want, I want i want to say something real quick especially pertaining to to king we have a the housing crisis and this is very important i want to make sure we touch on this the federal government sends tens of millions to detroit every year you know they probably send 30 million to one department and another 30-some million to another department, strictly here to Detroit. And it's all based on what King did and what King and, and Whitney Young did, the Fair Housing Act, Civil Rights Act. It's all stemming from that. Now, they blocking out Section 8. The list been closed for years. They would not let give no housing to nobody. They clearly, everybody has to go out of Detroit in order to get housing. So not only is they attacking us from those angles, now the solution is and it has to happen right now it should be thousands of people at the detroit housing commission um, um building because there's millions of dollars being allotted to them that's not going to them it should be thousands of people at the municipal building and it should be massive recalls being done on our city officials you said something about racism it is whites but it's a great black sellout going on as well. And we cannot forget that as well. We got seven African-American city council members, one Hispanic and one, and one um, white. 
okay? So, and then you got one mayor. Those are the 10 major positions here, and seven of them is African-Americans. So we're not about to forget that our own people is involved in this heavy. And so we're not going to take no responsibility after that, period. Yeah, I just you wanted to are, stay. Super right about it. And I'll be the first. I'll be the first and the and the only one to go. I'll go farther than that. The your na look, your neighbors are not educated. Okay? That's number one. Number two, you have those black sellouts, including those that will side with the corporators and, and, and the elitist for their own purposes. And yet it looks like, you know, oh, you'll go off the recommendation of a few people that have been paid off. They, we've had meetings where folk actors have filled the audience and they have been in major support. And then and, 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 this, and this is a problem here. The only solution that I have um, for people, if they would love to get involved here, you know, we we um i i, I want to make an open call for people to come here and to help us you know help us think differently help us think outside the box help us think new strategies because you know we we, we me joanna and i we can say that we the activist community are tired we we're very tired we are on so many fronts all of it is but but we can't get tired and we haven't give up last night we were at the detroit city charter commission meeting they tried to cancel the meeting they tried to move it but people still came out they showed up they uh, uh showed out and they want to be included and they are making um volunteerism to be in to be in these uh processions now you have a certain uh, I, what i i just made a video the other day um called sabotage government and sabotage government means you have a few individuals who are in official positions of power that are taking certain things and they're either twisting it or they're trying to benefit for their own uh, uh, agenda. And it's not in the agenda worth of people. So you're creating situations. You're creating problems. Okay. It's not the citizenry. It's not us. It's them. If you knew how to lead, if you knew how to govern, if you knew how to act in, in professionally and with decorum and common sense, stop acting with ineptitude. Stop acting like you're stupid. Stop listening to those developers and listen to us, the people, and weigh your decision based on your own common sense. And, and, and that's what I uh, make an appeal to. You know, uh, like I said, we're just tired. But we can't give up and we can't give in. I'm pretty sure that some of our activist community here in the city of Detroit, they will welcome you with open arms if you're willing to be an ally and to work with us, not be over us. Because we've had people try to come over, come here, try to be white saviors and those. And we, we can't, you know, it, it, for my, my belief is when the hood stands up, everybody else will. And that's my uh, whole prerogative to what I bring to this table. I have been to discussions. I have been to panels. I have talked solutions with big people to even small, even my, my neighbors. And I've told everybody, once the community stands up, then everybody else will support and they will follow through. But we have to have clear demands. We have to have a clear agenda. Okay. And we have to have research and documentation. We do that on the daily to, to back it up. The evidence is on our side. We have nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be wrong. And to those, and to those distractors, those haters, those people that sit there and say, oh, why are they complaining all that? You shut the hell up. 
because you literally have no idea until the fade happens to your community, until it happens to your household. Then you're knocking on all of our doors, encouraging us to get involved, and we don't want to. We have to stop that because one situation is all of our situations. Just like you said, people may not be dealing with this now, but it's already came to Portland, Oregon. It's already came to Camden, New Jersey. I can't believe Cory Booker, a presidential candidate, running around the country like he's done, and he's a charterizer. He's a corporate sellout, and he makes Booker T. Washington look like a racist sympathizer. I don't like people of uh, Kamala Harris presidential candidate same thing but Cory Booker is running for president on the message of love. Oh, well, no. what do you mean? What do you mean? Love, love, for, who, love for whom? The cor love for whom? The elitist or, or I I don't know what type of love he got, but I don't want none of it. Oh, oh, well, it could be for the pharmaceutical companies, the charterizers and stuff, but he won't get too far, and neither will those that, look, this presidential election, they already talking about 2020, I'm not involved, because let me tell you something here. Uh, Donald Trump is the emergency manager of the country. We did not select him. We did not elect him. I'm, I'm serious. When I was in that recount with Jill Stein here in Michigan, the GOP paid so much money to siphon the, to, uh, to bury the details, and eventually we will never know if Donald Trump was actually elected because Michigan, he claimed to want Michigan. Michigan is a battleground state. We make the decisions along with Ohio and Florida, and I can tell you from my heart of hearts that Donald Trump was not elected by the people. He was not. It, uh, he said to uh, uh, Hillary Rodden Clinton got those votes, but even she was oblivious. She wouldn't know what to do, and she would probably endorse uh, and, 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 and prop up Mike Duggan, Dan Gilbert, and Rick Snyder and others. So we barely have anything, but what I would like to say, and, and just solutionary and just being uh, positive, is that Communities, we have to come together. We have to demand action, but we also have to talk it out. We can't be emotionally reactive. We have to be proactive to the solutions and the um, uh, uh, in the layout of how we're going to get our communities back. They're not going to give up easily. I mean, they'll keep throwing money at, at the problem. They'll keep putting people in place that is circumventing the will of the people, but you look at Joanna Underwood. She got 60,000 votes from people who believed in her. No money. Knocked on everyone. Did it the old-fashioned way. And we see people that have just got recently elected. Rashida Tlaib. Uh, she just got recently elected to U.S. Congresswoman over a man that, that held this community for 50 years. You don't just – John Dingle just passed away. You don't get to be in a position for 50 years if you weren't doing anything, right? Huh? If they ain't want you up there. So when she said all these ideas, but I agree with her to impeach that motherfucker, Trump. Impeach him now because he's causing destruction. This government shutdown that just happened has destroyed our country and, and things in it for years to come. The damage is already done, and I know uh, one, one, one major thing. This is the art of war. I'm not going down without a fight. I ain't no punk. We ain't no punks. And we're not finna get punked out by those who believe that their money speaks volumes over our voices. We the people, I believe in that. We the people will overcome, but we will also overthrow.
And I said that in Washington, D.C. back in uh, last year when I got up in front of the C-SPAN cameras and I told the whole country, we can't be like this, going after each other. That's what they want us to do. They want us to be distracted. And if we're tearing each other apart, that's not going to help. They, that We're accomplishing their agenda. It's time for us to all stop what we're doing, breathe, come together, do whatever it is we have to do, and then show up one army, one force, one faith. And once we do that, they're going to they're, they're gonna cower. I mean, the walls of Jericho will break around here. I'm not building any walls. I'm breaking them. And Joanna and Ramon, uh, other organizers and people that have dedicated their lives, their time, their sacrifice, their families to protect this city should be recognized and should be applauded. But we also applaud those out in other communities that are fighting uh, corporate terrorism. I mean, we it's very important to give recognitions to those that have been in the game, have been in the fight for, you know, and that may could teach us a thing or two of how to win um, in our, in, in our um, epicenter where we're at right now. Um, I would just like to say is that, you know, um, I appreciate this opportunity to have this interview with you and um, to show the city that I love, born and raised in Detroit, is I'm a diehard Detroiter. And I also want to bring to the um, bring to awareness to your audience is that they made big business out of keeping people poor. You know, the nonprofit um, industries, it's big money now. So they will create disaster situations just so for us to um, so they can get get money from the federal government. Look what Flint. All that, all that was man-made. That was not a natural disaster. So they actually create poverty in the city of Detroit. They create in these situations uh, for us to live in um, poverty so they can get money. It's a big money thing. And like you said, it's not just Detroit. It's not just black people. It's everybody going to be affected by this eventually. This is going to be a virus that spread and affect the whole entire world if we don't get a control of it, but it's easy to, you know, disenfranchise and beat down the, the most um, weakest person, you know, the most weakest uh, people. And right now, the African-Americans, we're, we're strength and spirit, but our condition, our history here has made us vulnerable for these attacks throughout the year. So it's easy to do this with what African-Americans and other so-called communities of color, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, it will affect you because guess what? It's only 1% rich people that really control the revenue and the, and the wealth of this country. All right. So this capital, this, we live in a capitalist society that says that if you're not from the in crowd, you don't get the opportunities like everybody else, regardless of what your color is. So you might think that you're safe in your little comfortable suburb, but one day they're going to come to you, okay? And the way they set up these urban cities, they uh, suck all the money from the urban cities, sectors, and they put it into the suburbs. But guess what? When, the, when there's no money to suck up, then what? How are you going to survive? Okay? So what I like to say is that the solution is is to believe. The solution is to have hope. The solution is to never give up to fight. The solution is to always trust and believe. And don't let them beat down your self-esteem. Don't let them beat down your confidence. They have beat down people's self-esteem in this country so bad where we feel like we don't worth nothing unless we got a million dollars in our bank account. So we got to understand our true value as far as ourselves, and we got to uplift humanity. You 
You got to go out here and vote. And you also got to educate yourself on who you're voting for and take your family and friends to the voting polls. And also try to do fundraising. Start your own political packs. Start trying to, you know, donate money. Like for me, I had $500. And I went up against $600,000. But if I would have listened to everybody that told me I would, I would never make it, I knocked 100,000 doors, okay, for six months uh, on my feet, knocking doors because I wanted to be on this charter commission because I wanted to be there to try to fight for my city. And so if I can do it as a single mother, I know you can do it too. And you got to believe that you can. And I know that we can. We're going to win. Detroit, we we known for fighting, fighting. And we're going to fight this and we're going to win. And we're going to win because we we fighting a righteous battle here. We we fighting a battle of between good and evil. And what they're doing against us is evil. And that's why they're not going to prevail. I want to end by going on my little, yeah. my, my little, uh, it's not going to be a rant, but <laughs> so I think what's important for all of you to understand is, you know, in, as a journalist, if you actually like want to be a journalist and not just like put on makeup and pretend to be one, <laughs> the only way, the only way, to tell you the truth, I knew Detroit was a crisis. I didn't know it was this bad until I had this conversation. The only way you could find out truth is when you go to the people. The people suffering, by and large, are not in New York and Washington, D.C. and Los Angeles and San Francisco uh, and the coasts. Not trying to knock you if you live on the coasts, okay? But I could tell you when I'm home in New York for too long because I don't have the funding or we don't have the funding to go out there, you get a little disconnected from reality. You get a little disconnected from, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, this is like the mafia here. Yeah. Maybe even worse. <laughs> Maybe even worse than any mafia movie I've ever seen. But the reason CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times and all these places don't come out here, it's not because they certainly have the money. It's because they are living in their bubble, and that's where they want to stay. They don't give a fuck about these people. They don't. I can tell you why. Because there's people on CNN and MSNBC and in the papers of the New York Times that I have seen at cocktail parties that I am disgraced to have gone to years ago. And I see them on TV snickering about their vacations. Just as much as diversity in government is a problem, where you don't have people from Detroit governing Detroit, and you don't have people that are the people like them actually in powerful positions, the media is completely disconnected. Why do you think they were so shocked when a, when a phony orange orangutan used car salesman hoodwinked America? And they never thought it could happen. So my point, my point to you, I am not here and Ty's not here to sit here and be a robot and play neutral. No, I'm not neutral to this injustice. So how do we do it? I don't have any fancy investors. None. I had one offer from a really, really wealthy man to, to fund this whole fucking thing. And I ain't going to lie, I thought about it for two minutes, and then I politely told him to go fuck off because I can't have any credibility being funded by this person. I don't hate him, but he's not in line with my values. So the point is, 
We are building this from the ground up. And I'm not asking you to go fund me so I could go have a lavish dinner. I'll show you the books. We're not. <laughs> I'm asking you to go fund us. I'm asking you if you are not a status quo member yet, statusquo.com slash join. I'm not, you could do it as low as $5 a month. There's different plans. This is how we fund real journalism. This is how, by the way, uh, I, I don't want to go into details, but I had a meeting, uh, Ty and I had a meeting earlier today with a very, very high-level official in the state of Michigan. I don't want to say who, but one of the top officials in the state of Michigan. You want to know why I got that meeting? Because I went to Flint 13 times, and I built up enough sources in Flint to break a pretty big story. And that story was largely ignored by the corporate media, but I've kept on it, and I knew the re Republican led governor and the Republican attorney general and that whole Snyder evil mafia family over there, they weren't going to do anything. So I stuck at it. And now based on continually going back, we're closer to possibly having action and justice. But you can't come to Detroit once if you're a journalist. You can't come to Flint once. You can't come to Cleveland once. You can't come to Milwaukee once and all these places. The bottom line is, for now, because I'm, I'm still trying to get uh, funding from outlets that are more in line with our values, namely those that don't fund Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, and, and the whole big conglomerate. For, I love corporate terrorists, whoever said that. So right now, you are our investors. So if you got an extra 20 bucks this month, go fund me. If you got five bucks a month, become a member. You can become a member as low as five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month or $147 annually. I spend stupidly $5 probably a day on coffee. Okay? So if I were, if I were reverse, I might reconsider that and brew my own coffee. Because citizen journalism, what you're talking about, it's not a luxury, it's a necessity. And if I'm not your flavor, if status quo's not your flavor and you think others are better, then fund them. If you are struggling for money, and you're living paycheck to paycheck, keep your money. We don't want to make your situation worse. But if it, you got to think about your budget. Citizen journalism is important because part of the reason this suffering goes on is because there is no journalist. The journalists are in bed with the government. Mm -hmm. So I ask you, uh, you know, we're out here. I, I don't know about Ty. I have, I literally have not put anything in my mouth today to eat. And it's 8.30. I have not eaten yet because I was preparing for this meeting, and then we drove to this meeting, and then we came here. So the bottom line is, I ain't asking for your sympathy. This isn't charity. Become a member, and for now, go fund me, because I'd like to come back to Detroit. And frankly, for what needs to be done, we need to put in our budget some security, because <laughs> we, uh, we might be targets. So I thank you for watching. I'll definitely keep in touch with you guys. Yes. Uh, hydrate Detroit. Yes. Uh, where can people find you online? I'm Joanna Underwood. You can get me on Facebook, and I'm also a commissioner. I'm actually an elected official, believe it or not, of the Detroit Charter Commission. Oh, oh, people can find me on Facebook. People can find me on Facebook as well, uh, Miko Williams, and they can also, um, you know, support Hydrate Detroit because we deliver water and help restore water. If you ever wanted to be in the comeback of Detroit, you would invest within the people and. Uh, there's a direct link for that, you know, and I'm pretty sure Detroiters will thank you. You can um you can find me on um Facebook probably and YouTube, AFSC, that's Advocates Fighting Social Change. And when we cut up these videos, I'll put all that in the description. Thank you for watching. We're on our way tomorrow 
to, where the hell are we going tomorrow? Uh, Lordstown, Ohio. Another factory that General Motors is closing. I don't know if Rachel Maddow is talking about that tonight, huh? General Motors, after all this money, uh, you know, General Motors basically, I mean, what can you call it? They're stealing from their workers. Their workers are producing all of this profit, and then they throw them out like last, you know, yesterday's news. So Lordstown, Ohio is one of the five plants being closed down, so we're going to go there, try to talk to some auto workers, uh, and then we're going to go to Cleveland. I don't know if you know this. Cleveland has a lead crisis itself. It's, it, it, yeah, it's everywhere. It's, it's, it's water, lead, you name it, it's everywhere. The national media is a disgrace. Gentrification. Cleveland has, I believe, the worst childhood poverty in the country, at least last year. Oh, yeah, Dan Gilbert, who owns the Cavaliers. Yeah, who's a, who's a Trump supporter. He puts out a lot of good PR because he does have a special needs child, which that's, all well and good, but he's a pariah other than that. So we're going to Ohio next. Uh, who knows where after? Uh, thank you for watching. I ain't gonna, I, I'm not beyond begging the audience. I'll beg you. I'm not going to beg any powerful plutocrats. Fund us. Love us. Share this video. Peace.